Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. So we all know how good leadership is in being essential to building a happy and productive workforce. But my guest today, David Veach, is a real expert in this field, having studied leadership for over 30 years, during which time he spent 20 years serving and teaching in the U.S. Army, where leadership, of course, is paramount for quite literally running a military operation. He retired in 2001 and has since set up two international consulting firms, started teaching clients and university students how to make people more creative and productive, and has become a best-selling author of two books that help people love, learn, and let go. And we'll be exploring that today as a theme. He's here to explain today how those three decisions can help people build a motivated and engaged team. It is quite a CV, quite a success story, and over 30 years with all of his experience, I'm delighted to welcome to the Sandro Forty podcast today, David Beach. David, welcome. Thank you very much, Sandro. I'm really excited about being on the show. And from the other side of the pond as well. Um, it's Absolutely. Great, uh, particularly with all the uh, experience, expertise, and of course, a different perspective that you bring to uh, a very diverse audience spanning some 40 countries now, I'm delighted to say. So let's get right into it, if we may. David, what attracted you, first of all, to the army? Because I'm particularly interested since my brother uh, served some time in the army. And then we're going to talk a little bit about your background before we get into the nitty gritty. So what about the army? Yeah, I was uh, I was in high school and uh, wondering what I was going to study in college and wondering what I was going to be when I grew up. And uh, one of the guys from the ROTC department came down and talked to us about the different activities uh, and the scholarships that were available through ROTC. So uh, I went to Western Kentucky University, joined a club called the Special Forces Club. We went skydiving, rock climbing, and orienteering that first year, and I was hooked. Wow. Uh, skydiving. I'm, I'm not even going to go there. Um, yeah. It's one of the things I've always wanted to do, but I don't think if I sat in the doorway of that plane, I'd ever be able to do it. So kudos to you for that one. Um, your background then, where, where did it all start? You know, it's like so many people you've said, didn't really aspire to go into the army, you know, various things contrived to make that happen. But just tell us about David Veach, you know, the man, the boy, where did it all start? Yeah, the, the most important thing, uh, I think, is realizing what you were put here for. Um, and it took me uh, it took me a good long while to figure out what I need to be doing for the, the planet, for the universe. Um, and so uh, I, I went through college. Uh, I really was, it was very easy for me. So I was pretty well blessed and, and I've never had these brutal struggles. I get into the army and I get these wonderful assignments in the infantry. Uh, I get to command troops in Germany. But when I came back from Germany um, in 1989 and got an assignment teaching ROTC at a small college in Florida, um, having to 
encapsulate what you've learned and your experiences up to that point and be able to share them in an engaging way with young college students who have their whole lives to look forward to. Um, that just captivated my heart. And I said, I love this teaching stuff. I need to be doing this. And when you're a teacher, uh, the most important thing you have to be able to do is learn very effectively. So I started looking at everything that I had done up to then and everything that I was doing uh, from that learning perspective. What can I learn from this? What can I get out of this? How can I pull this together and share it with other people? And that just kind of turned into the rest of my life. I did a bunch of different things in the Army after that. Um, so I spent um, I spent about eight years in the acquisition business, buying missile systems and, and overseeing the production of missile systems. But then I got an opportunity to get back into teaching and I jumped all over it. And I ended my career teaching at the Defense Acquisition University, uh, which was a blast. Uh, and I met the guys from the University of Kentucky while I was there building a curriculum for uh, lean thinking and lean systems based on the Toyota production system. Um, and so that was a uh, uh, that was just exploded the opportunities to learn, go observe and, and see. Uh, but again, it all came back to that. The pressure that is put on you to learn more effectively when you know you have to teach someone else. It's it's I mean, the best way to learn is to teach somebody else. I love that's such a lovely perspective. You know, the whole teacher student analogy that the teacher is also the student in many ways. I'm I'm. I'm using my own words here, but that's essentially what you said. That is a really, really lovely perspective of things. So I guess it goes without saying, probably know the answer to the next question. Um, I guess this is where your passion for leadership began. Um, and But what was it about your experiences, particularly in the Army, um, that have created such a good bedrock for all that you've created since? What were, what were the disciplines and the, uh, and, the, and the tools that you were equipped with, um, it, it, not just in the Army, but in all of your experience to date? Well, with the Army, surprisingly, it was much more about the people that you come in contact with. And of course, in, in the Army, we're all uh, obsessed with leadership. And there are many, many, many wonderful leadership examples in the Army that are not command and control, iron-fisted kind of jerks, right? Yeah. Um, so there are these wonderful leaders, but there are also those crappy leaders. Um, I was really fortunate to have uh, an excellent servant leader as my boss um, in Germany. For the first 18 months, I was the brigade training officer, and he was the brigade operations officer. So he's responsible for all the war plans for the brigade and all the training that the brigade would do to be ready to execute those war plans. And I was his training officer, and uh, uh, I worked my butt off. Right. And uh, I would I was responsible for writing the commander's training guidance on a quarterly and on an annual basis. And I would um, study and interview and work my tail off, write up this guidance and send it over to my boss. And he would like bring it back and it'd be dripping with red ink uh, and just it was horrible. And it was devastating to my ego because, you know, I was I'm a young, indestructible officer. How could I screw something up so simply? But instead of just kind of tossing it back on my desk. He sits down next to me and we start going through it all. And as a young, indestructible officer, again, that was more painful than seeing the red, 
right? And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get the lecture again. I got to spend this time. This I got to work till 7 p.m. tonight or 8 or 9. Oh my God, I'll never get home. My wife is going to kill me, that kind of thing. And so while I was working for this guy, I just, I hated it. But when I found out what he was doing, and when it occurred to me that he, he decided that his main role was to make sure that my development as an officer was his top priority, not the rest of the world. It was me. It was a very personal connection. And he had very high standards. And he, by God, expected me to achieve those standards, but he never once abandoned me. When I didn't achieve those standards, he taught me specifically what I did right and what I didn't do right and how to correct what I didn't do. And while that was painful going through that, when I got the next job, the job that I dreamed of, the company commander job, uh, I looked back on it. I was like, oh, my God, that was like the best leadership experience of my life. So uh, I owe a lot of that focus, individual connection, individual development mentality to that one man. Uh, and um, it's I, I share this story with a lot of folks because leaders don't take the time that they should to spend with their people. And often the time that they do spend is just crap. Mm. So I really spend some time with with leaders helping them understand their obligation to coach and develop and how to do that effectively. Um, people think it's micromanaging. People think it's tedious. But if they do it right in a questioning and compassionate way, um, it is the most incredible life-changing experience for the people that you're leading. I, I hear David many, many times. Well, David is a he's a great leader. Look at him. You know, he's got all the requisite skills. He's, he's clearly very adept to all, uh, all the things he's doing. I'm, I'm just not a natural leader. Is, is it your view that you are born? Is it an innate skill that you just have? Or can great leaders be, can, can they be built? Can they be taught? Well, I view leadership as a set of skills. It's a set of skills that every human can develop. Um, while many are blessed with good looks, charm, and personality, uh, and charisma that goes with that, that makes them more likely to uh, emerge from the crowd as a leader. Uh, it doesn't give them any innate skill as a leader. Um, so even in those cases, the fundamental skills that we need leaders to have still have to be developed, no matter how charismatic or how shy and introverted you are. How did you, I'm very interested to know this question, because again, there's lots of stories of people who've been very, very successful in the army with all the disciplines that come with that and all the skills that are derived from that, uh, from that overall experience. But when they transition to, I'll call it the outside world, they really struggle. Clearly, that's not been the case with you. How easy or difficult did you find it to adjust to uh, life once you retired from the army? Well, I cheated. <laughs> uh, I started working uh, with more civilians than military folks um, through the acquisition piece. And when I was teaching in the Defense Acquisition University, the majority of the students that came through those programs were um, government civilians. And so I had this 
buffer between a Stark, you know, deployed in Afghanistan and poof, uh, working at Walmart. I didn't have that kind of abrupt shift. I had this nice, gentle kind of stretched out, relaxing, um, get used to how civilians behave kind of thing. Uh, and so it was a little bit different for me. Um, the expectation, I think, that we place on these uh, young folks coming out of the military, uh, especially young leaders who are, who've been on several deployments um, to the Middle East, to Afghanistan, uh, they come back, they're hardened, they're extremely capable, they have had immense levels of responsibility uh, in the military when you're responsible for you know, I was 24 years old and a headquarters company commander responsible for 366 soldiers, you know, 24 years old. Like, and I didn't know my, you know, my butt from a hole in the ground, right? So all these things you have to learn. When they come out and you, there's nothing in the civilian world that equates to that uh, at that young level. To get where I would have 366 lives that are fully dependent on me and I have to serve their needs um, you don't, you don't see that for a young person outside unless they start their own company and they start building it very rapidly. Um, so I think the, the biggest thing is, is adjusting away from, I've been responsible for all this stuff. And now you want me to make sure the shelves are stocked really. Um, so I think they, they, there's a lot of struggle with that. So a lot of those guys need a little bit of coaching, a little bit of handholding, a little bit of butt kicking to change their mindset, to deal with the civilian world. Now, the, David, the Army has its own motto. Tell me about David Veach's motto, love, learn, and let go. Yeah, that, that uh, I've been working on that for almost 30 years, right? Um, trying to figure out uh, how to encapsulate the, the most important things that leaders need to decide that are going to drive their behaviors as a result. And so through this collection of studies of servant leadership and through this collection of studies from like uh, Jim Collins and Good to Great and his level five leadership and, and a few other things that I've kind of gathered over the years, um, I, I, it kind of pulled together. It said, you know, the most important thing to be an effective leader is you really got to love the people you're working with. You don't have to like them, but you got to love them. And you got to love the work that you're doing. And if you don't love the work that you're doing, you got to change it. And if you don't love the people that you're working with, you got to help them change, just like you got to change yourself. So this decision to love uh, gets a lot of uh, furrowed brows when I bring it up in, in like a business workshop um, at first. And then I explain that it's really just a decision on your part to put the needs of others above your own. And there's no smushy, gushy, emotional component to this. This is a straight up decision. If you make it, you're going to be a more effective leader. If you don't make that decision, you're not. So step one, decide every day, look in the mirror. I'm going to love my guys, right? I'm going to love the folks I'm working with. I'm going to do what I can to serve their needs. Once you make that decision, that puts your heart and your mind in the right kind of place so that you can then go and learn. And the most important thing that you can learn is what do they need? What do they need and how can I help them satisfy that need? So that's the key learning point. Uh, every interaction that a leader has is a learning opportunity for both of you. But if the leader thinks that he or she's there to teach at that particular point, uh, they got the wrong mindset. They've got to go 
with the learning approach. What can I learn? And the most important thing I learn, what do they need? So that, that means we ask lots and lots and lots of questions. And we rarely say, hey, you can fix that by doing that. Uh, because as soon as we give them a solution, then they're going to wait for the, dis- the solution next time. They're not going to come up with their own. But if you start questioning, they're going to start thinking, they're going to say, all right, it's okay. So that's, that's one of the biggest things about leaders with, uh, with the relationship that they have with people. Many leaders think they're helping by making that decision for them at that, at that line level, right? Um, but as soon as they make that decision for that person, when that person is perfectly capable and perfectly suited in these chain of, of stages between uh, a supplier and a customer, uh, they are the best suited to make those decisions. You interrupt that cycle, you disrupt that cycle, you put them in a dependent role instead of an independent role, and that hampers your ability to lead because they're going to need you to come back and tell them again. So we got to learn what they need, and then we got to let go of our need to feel like we're in control of everything. And we're all human, right? So we all have this basic need to be in control of our immediate environment. We have this need. It's a legitimate need. We gotta, we're all control freaks, closet control freaks. But as a leader, we've got to be able to give that feeling of control to the people we're leading instead of just trying to close it up ourselves. So we do that by letting go, but we can't let go unless we have some systems in place that allow us to retain our feeling of control. And so we talk about things like visual management systems and appropriate goal setting. And uh, we call them gimbal walks, but uh, Tom Peters calls it management by walking around, right? Mm-hmm. You have to go and make contact with folks on a short interval basis. Um, so you got to let go of your need to control, but have systems in place so that you still know what's going on without micromanaging. So that's where the kind of love, learn, let go kind of came in. Um, and I've tried to write it up and build it into this integral leadership model. And I wrote about that in the, in my book, Leader Sites. So I'm, I'm trying to flesh that out as we go. Very good. So a beautiful lead in then to your books, uh, best-selling author of two of them. What, what is it about your books then, David, that managed to reach and impact so many people? Because they've been very successful. Well, the let's see. How do I say this? Uh, I I write like I talk, and so people can understand what I've written about, even when it's a complex psychological phenomenon like self-efficacy. Um, in the in the book, uh, I've been able to piece things together and write it with with the help of some pretty good editors in my past and some pretty good English teachers in the past. Um, I, I write where people can actually understand. So the first book was on problem solving. And, you know, we've got a lot of different problem solving processes out there. Um, and a lot of people talk about Six Sigma, which is based on uh, a problem solving process called DMAIC, define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. And when you look at how people learn and how people teach that kind of complicated process, it's really hard for people to master that in any kind of short period of time. And so I, I started looking at, uh, at the way people learn and the way people teach. And I said, can I come up with a way that will help people understand more clearly and, and maybe get people more engaged in the learning place? And so I, I, um, with the, and you know, I never do anything by myself. So I, I had a lot of help on, on this 
from a, a friend at uh, Rolls Royce there in Darby. Um, he was working on this this three C idea that they're still doing there, um, where they identify the concern, figure out what the cause is, and then develop a countermeasure. And I said, "Wow, that's really cool. That's pretty snappy. I'm going to steal that." But that's not enough because this is the most critical skill that we can give people. Problem solving and critical thinking, the most critical skills that we can give people. So I said, let me add a fourth C. I'll call it confirm. So we focus in that fourth C on learning. What do we learn from going through those concern cause countermeasure piece? And of course, being an army guy, C4 is plastic explosives and blows stuff up. So that kind of resonated with me. <laughs> um, now, um, you've touched on the word problem. And I think that one of the one of the reasons I would really dearly wanted you to be a Sandro Forte podcast guest, David, was because you are really well equipped to help us with this little conundrum, particularly in the current set of circumstances in which all of us find ourselves. Um, the word problem is, is part of everyone's uh, vocabulary, no more so than in the current climate. So uh, how do we maintain a positive outlook in this crisis or indeed any other crisis that we find ourselves in, whether in the workplace or in life more generally? Well, I think if you're a student of history, you know that, um, that these kinds of things come and go. And if you, if you maintain some elasticity and some resiliency in your method of thinking, then you understand that uh, this is a, a withdrawal from our, our, our perception of normal. So it gives us an opportunity to do new things. So it's less, this is less a problem to me than an opportunity. Now, an opportunity is different from a problem because an opportunity is optional to pursue. A problem, you have to solve a problem. Okay, so a problem is I expected something to happen and it didn't. Oh, my God, I got to get back to where it was. So an opportunity is, well, we could do this or we could do that. So there's always a choice with opportunity. And the choice for people today in this current environment is what am I going to do to get myself and my people ready to return? But we're not returning to normal ever. Normal's gone. What can I do now so that we can return to better? So I want to focus on uh, team development. How can I build teams in this virtual environment? And, and there are some strategies for that. How can I focus on my personal skills? How can I focus on the processes we were working with before that maybe we didn't like? What can we fix about those? What can we improve about those and make a plan for those so that when we do return, we can put those in place? Uh, so there's a whole lot of things that we can do with our teams. And as long as we don't let go of that connection to those folks, I think we can make a lot of progress in this opportune time. It's like a down market, right? Now's the time to buy. It's not the time to sell everything and panic. Just take a deep breath, figure out so what we want to learn. How are we going to plan to go back and then really go forward instead of going back? Let's go back to better. I, I, yeah, great. I, I love that. Thank you. How, how, how then, given what you've just said, particularly given that so many people are working from home now, David, how, how do we improve our workforce? How do we maintain leadership and, and connectivity with people when you know everyone's working remotely from home? Are there any, you mentioned strategies. Have you got any words of wisdom that you can share in that respect? Well, I think the most important thing, Sandro, is, is 
to connect with them every single day. So uh, one, we need a we need a structure where I, as a leader, can meet with a small group of people every day. Right? I need a team that's maybe seven people max. So I'm not going to have an effective uh, Zoom call with 43 people on there. Okay. So the first thing we got to understand is who is our team. And then the, the team structure is the fundamental building block of a more effective organization. So if I'm a leader, I've got six direct reports. I'm going to huddle with those guys every single day. Every I don't care what work you're doing. You huddle with those folks every single day. Well, what are you going to talk about? Well, do you work every day? If you work every day, you got something to talk about. How are you going to measure whether or not people are, are making progress on their assignments? How are you going to measure whether people are having problems and have the resources that they need? So we're going to huddle every morning, get those needs, and then at each successive level in the organization, the leader of one group becomes a team member on the next level. And that her leader needs to understand that they're the team leader for that next team. And they got to build that unity, build that identity. And then it propagates all the way up until the CEO with her direct reports is a team. And unlike most organizations where the CEO has all these division leaders and everything that, that report to him or her, um, each one kind of focuses on a silo. Um, that leader has to build that group into a unified team that is collectively responsible for running the organization. Um, so leaders going to lead that team. They each one of the direct reports meets with their direct reports, meets with their direct reports, all the way to the value creation level. And you will find that it is um, an extremely effective learning circle approach where something happens on the front line that needs resources that only the CEO controls, it gets to the CEO that same day and goes back down the next so that they get it. It happens. It's much quicker response time for the things that happen. And problems are solved at the lowest level possible in the organization. So if somebody stubs a toe, the CEO doesn't need to know that. So I don't need to take that crap all the way up. They solve that at the lowest point possible. So I think that team structure is probably a fundamental thing. And the other thing we hear often in, in business, or indeed in any kind of community, is, is the word culture. Why do we need to understand culture? I'm asking this because, you, again, you're an authority on it. Why do we need to understand culture, David? And why do we need to make change when change is necessary? Uh, that's an excellent question. Um, culture is the, is the collective set of behaviors in the organization. It's just how we manage to get things done and culture is driven by the behaviors and the values of the leadership. Um, so if you're not getting the results that you want and you complain that, well, you know, our culture is kind of withdrawn and, and nobody wants to share ideas and nobody wants to step up to solve a problem. Well, that's because leaders have been doing that too long and they need to let go of that and let other people do that. Any kind of culture change though is not, an abrupt thing. I mean, you, you can change your behavior today and it might not change even a small team's culture for months, but we've got to stay with the course. And that's, that's one of the most important lessons from uh, that level five leadership I mentioned earlier. Um, you have to have the will 
to stick to your change and know that it's the right thing to do going forward. Um, so we, we'll start with this culture of compliance, right? That's that's when I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do, but I'm not going to do anything else because I'm afraid if I do anything else, I'm going to make you angry or I'm going to piss somebody else off and it's going to be bad for me. So I'm only going to do what you tell me to do or what you ask me to do and nothing else. You can get a lot of work done that way. 99% of the organizations on the planet operate that way. The next level up, though, is a culture of involvement. And to get people to go from this compliance to involvement, all you really got to do is start asking instead of telling. So ask those questions, get their involvement. The problem with most organizations is I'm going to ask for that involvement, but I don't really have any systems that allow me to handle the ideas and the problems that come in from the, the team. So if I don't have any way to handle that and I get a lot of, of complaints and a lot of these pie in the sky ideas, yeah, let's put you know solar panels on the roof of the parking garage. Yeah, let's do that. Well, we don't have any money for that. And I'm way down here in the bowels of the organization. I don't have any authority for that. So I've got to have a system that allows me to process that. But once people get used to that, once people get used to sharing their ideas and thinking through them themselves and learning from that experience, then they start seeing results. And when people start seeing results, they get excited about this. So we want to build this culture of excitement where people are looking forward to coming in and doing these things. Um, but there's still a little problem with this culture of excitement because uh, the, the typical thing you might hear is, oh, man, I can't, I can't wait till you come back so we can do this again. So now, so we're just waiting for somebody to come in to, to kind of hold our hand through something when a true culture of engagement is when I find a problem, I solve it. When I see an opportunity or have an idea, we test it. We make sure it's better. We do it. We do that without being told. We do that without waiting. And so the organization comes to life because nobody's waiting for leaders to decide on things. Now, I don't want to lead. I don't want to give your re, your listeners the uh, impression that I don't want leaders to make decisions because ultimate leaders have to make the decisions. But the way we make decisions is to get the best information from our team presented to us in a way where we can make the best decision possible for the organization. Uh, if we just go and say, Hey, do this, you're already, I mean, you're already behind. Yeah. So we've got to develop our people so that they bring us, Here's the problem I had. Here's what's caused it. Here are five different ways we could solve it. We had tested each one of these. We think we should go with option three. And the leader says, all right, that's a great job. Go do that. Or the leader says, well, wait a minute. Um, based on what I know is coming down the pike, I think option four is going to be better for us. So let's do that. And that's the leader's prerogative. That's the leader's job to make a decision at that point. If the leader does that without any of the analysis, you're going to make a crappy decision. Yeah. So I've heard you uh, speak of high-speed problem-solving. Does that link to what you've just been saying? Is that something different? I, I just think we'd like to kind of finish our conversation today on, on high-speed problem-solving because, of course, in this day and age, everyone has problems and challenges, but they also want to get them dealt with pretty quickly. So no better person to speak to today than, than to you on that subject. Well, that's my that's my next book I'm, I'm working on. Hopefully I'll have it done by the end of this year. But, uh, uh, yeah, the the – the idea behind high-speed problem solving is not to shortcut analysis or shortcut um, the development of solutions. Uh, the idea is to really slow down and take your time 
and do the proper analysis, do the proper testing and experimentation so that when you do finally pull the trigger, you've actually solved the problem and the problem never comes back. The high speed part uh, is important because if you do it that way, slowly and thoroughly the first time, you don't have to spend any more time on it. Now, if you, if you don't do that analysis, the problem is going to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. And you're going to burn more time every single time. So the essence of high-speed problem solving is do it right the first time, solve it permanently, it never comes back, and don't waste any more time on it. Very, very nicely articulated. Um, so content-rich today. Uh, we've, we've obviously talked a little bit about leadership, about business, and all those philosophies. But of course, so many parallels for people in life generally. So thank you for sharing. Two more questions, if I may. Uh, question number one, not, not really a question, so much as um, a request for you to direct us to um, the, the two books, uh, website, social media presence, if you have it. Uh, we'd we'd all, all like to find out more about what you do, David, and connect with you where appropriate. So um, how do we go about finding David Beach? Well, first place, of course, is the, is the website. It's uh, uh, leadersites.com. That's L-E-A-D-E-R-S-I-G-H-T-S.com. Leadersites, uh, a played off of Leader Insight. So that's how I created that. Um, there is on that website a free downloads button. And I would invite your listeners to click on that free downloads button uh, provide just a tiny bit of information and you can download that C4 problem solving book for free. And there's uh, a C4 problem solving worksheet that is good for teams and a C4 problem solving card that is good for individual development. Uh, that is all for free. They can download that. Uh, if they have any questions about how to use any of that, my email address is david.veach at leadersites.com. And that's V as in Victor, double E-C-H. Uh, I would welcome any questions about the C4 stuff. I tried my best to give that stuff away. Um, the other book is Leader Sites, Creating Great Leaders Who Create Great Workplaces. Uh, that's still available on Amazon. Uh, I would still love to have a few more reviews of that book. Um, the folks who read it tell me that it is eminently readable, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. I was terrified. i got to tell you, Sandro. When I turned that manuscript into the publisher, I was absolutely terrified because it's I've got a little different way of thinking from my lean community. Uh, and so I put all these ideas in this book and it's like easy to shoot holes in these things. But as people started reading it, say, wow, this is really pretty cool. Um, the first half of the book talks about leader behaviors and, and vision and visioning and metavision and developing the right kind of behaviors and values going forward. The transition chapter is, a, is one where I discuss the new leadership model, the integral leadership model that, that details the love, learn, let go, and then a connection piece as well. But the last half of the book is, is here's how you take all these tools that you've been using for quality management and for, for lean thinking and how to use them instead to develop better people and to develop better leaders. And so it's very much a people-centric kind of thing and, and full of pretty rich examples. Uh, and so I've, I've gotten a lot of great feedback on the Leader Sites book. Um, I would if the publisher would let me give it away, but they won't. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, I'm on Twitter, uh, at David Beach. Um, I'm at Facebook. Um, it's facebook.com slash DSV Leader Sites. Um, and on LinkedIn, you can look at me on LinkedIn, David Beach. So you should be able to find me. I would you love might, to hear from you. You might regret giving your email address away, but anyway. Um, 
<laughs> but let's let's hope lots of people connect and good luck with the next book. Final question, if I may. Uh, let's imagine a younger version of David Beach came and uh, threw himself on uh, Daddy's knee and said, "Right, Dad, you know I am just about to venture out into the big wide world, uh, whether it's the army or business. Not quite sure which direction I'm heading, but what I'd love from you, if you would, is a few words of wisdom to encapsulate all that you've learned." to make it just a bit easier for me. What would those few words of wisdom be, David? The most important thing is to go out and interface with your people. Um, if you're if you're in a real work environment, not under quarantine, you're gonna go out and you're gonna make face-to-face contact with as many people as you can every single day. Here remotely, you gotta get on the phone, you gotta get on Zoom, you gotta get on Skype, you gotta get on whatever resource you use in your organization to contact as many people, look them in the eye face to face every single day and ask how you can support them. How can you satisfy their needs? Encourage them to keep on trying, issue some challenges so that they'll uh, look forward to setting those, setting their own goals and achieving those challenges and feel like they've actually accomplished something. So make that eyeball to eyeball contact with as many people as you can every single day. Very wise words indeed. What a great way to finish today's podcast. David Veach, thank you so much for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast. And we look forward to hearing much more, particularly in relation to the next book very soon. Thank you, Sandro. I've enjoyed it. Well, thank you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today. Wasn't David Veach terrific? Absolutely terrific. Each week, remember, we have a new guest, just like David, joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life's challenges. So please make sure you subscribe. Follow us on social media, Sandro's Podcast with an S. Don't forget, everyone makes a mistake. So please make sure you send us your questions. Hello at sandrospodcast.com is the email address. Remember those two other things to connect with me, Sandro Forte, and to leave those reviews on iTunes so we know what kinds of guests you'd like in the future. And of course, you get the opportunity if you review to win a guest uh, prize donated very kindly via the Sandro Forte Podcast. So until this time, next week, and another splendid David Beach, kind of guest. Goodbye for now.